Well, I want to say good morning and welcome to you, those who are here at our Cornerstone 930 service, those at the Well Cafe, as well as those who may be worshiping online today. If we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here, and I'm excited to share uh, the third week of this uh, series, Be Brave. We'll wrap up this series next week, uh, the fourth week, with our big weekend. I'll share a little bit more at the end of our service about ways that you can help make Big Weekend a big weekend. Uh, But for today, for right now, I want to invite you to open your Bible, if you brought that with you, uh, to Acts chapter 4. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, Acts chapter 4 can be found on page 1695 in the blue Bibles that we have in all of our worship spaces. And if you do not have a Bible of your own, uh, I want to encourage you to stop by one of our connecting points on campus. Uh, we would love to give you one of those as our gift. So please, uh, please take advantage of that. Uh, as you find Acts chapter 4, I just want to review with you a couple things we've talked about in previous weeks. Uh, we started with the, uh, by, by mentioning the idea that the brave thing is always the hard thing, uh, which is why we often find ourselves shrinking back from those moments that require of us an act of courage, an act of bravery. Uh, and yet we also know that a brave life is a meaningful life. We know that there is significance there and, and we all aspire in some ways to live a life that is bold, a, a, a life uh, that, that is significant and meaningful. And, uh, and yet again, we find ourselves shrinking back and, and I share with you what I think is the number one reason that we do that, uh, which is that we just have this idea that someone else will do what I'm unwilling to do. Someone else will fill the gap that is created by my unwillingness to act in the way that, uh, that this challenge may ask of me. We, we just have this idea that someone else will be willing to do what I am unwilling to do. And there's lots of reasons we think that. We think that in part uh, sometimes because we think someone's better equipped for that. Someone else, uh, they'll just do that better than I will do that. Do that. So sometimes we find ourselves remembering a past experience uh, where, where we did act in what we thought was a courageous way and at least by our perception it didn't go well and that makes us a little bit uh, more uh, scared of, of stepping into that moment. Sometimes we just think I have too much to lose here. And so I'm not sure I want to step into this. And, and then there are other times, and we don't like admitting this to ourselves or to anyone else, sometimes we don't do something simply because we don't want to do it. We, we, we may think it's super important. Someone should do something about this. We just don't want it to be us. And so we step back and we hope that someone else will be willing to do what we ourselves are unwilling to do. Uh, So last week, we looked at the first of two things that I described in this way. Uh, These are areas where people who have said yes later find themselves saying no. And here's what I mean by that. People who have said yes, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to surrender my life to you. People who have said yes, who later, when they begin to understand the full implications of what it means to live a Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life kind of life, what that really looks like, they later find themselves saying no. And again, we looked at the first of two. We're going to look at the second today. But last week, what we looked at is learning to live a financially generous life. Now, if you're here today and you missed that message, I know you're already thinking, I got to go back and listen to that. I mean, I can't wait. I really want to hear uh, that message, which I want you to know first, I appreciate that enthusiasm. That is awesome. All right. Uh, but just in case you don't, I want to lift up uh, a few things from that message, particularly if you are someone who is maybe a little bit uncomfortable with that and uh, uncomfortable with that being talked about in church. We, we, we looked at two practices that I described 
described as uh, what, what really forms the, the intersection between our faith life and our financial life. And in the scriptures, these two practices is the practice of the first fruits and the practice of the tithe. A first fruit simply means that we give to God out of the first fruit that we receive in our life. It might be the fruit of a field uh, or the fruit of our labor, but we give to God first. And in a minute, I'll say a little bit more about why that's important. And then there's this idea of proportionally giving back to God out of what we receive in our life. The tithe, which is a tenth. So if the fruit of our labor is 10 apples, we give the first one to God. And we ourselves, and, and in taking care of those we love, we, we, we live off the nine. Uh, and we do those things, those two practices, uh, to express some, some ta- in a tangible way a few things to God. God, I want you to be first in my life. God, I want to tangibly say, I trust you for my future. And God, I want to be more like you. And I said, if the words that come to your mind when you think about learning to live a financially generous life, if the words that come to your mind are guilt and obligation, my encouragement to you was to exchange those words for the word honor and the word relationship. That one of the greatest honors of your life, of any of our lives, the most significant thing that we could really ever do is participating in what God is doing in the world. And when we give, that's what we do. We're investing in what God is doing in the world. And we are deepening our relationship with God because we are participating in something that God loves doing more than anything else, which is giving to each and every one of us and giving to God's, God's world. And so we cannot help but deepen in our understanding of God and our love for God when we participate in those acts that are really at the heart of who God is. So... That was what we talked about last week. You may think, well, how are we going to follow that one up? What are we going to talk about this week as far as those things that, again, people who have said yes later find themselves saying no. And let me express it to you in this way. This is one of our five core values, um, that followers of Jesus help others follow Jesus. And, and, And hearing that, you may think to yourself, well, that doesn't sound very hard. I mean, I try to help you follow Jesus, you try to help me follow Jesus, Uh, I go to my small group, we try to help one another, maybe you walk away and uh, you've heard something from another person, you think, well, that's really good, that's going to help me this week follow Jesus, that's what we're kind of doing here in the church, but embedded in this is another idea that we are helping others follow Jesus who have not yet said yes to following Jesus. And that may be where you think, oh, that's a little bit harder than I thought. That's, uh, now, now we're moving in the realm of, of, of where you may feel a little bit more uncomfortable when you think about helping others follow Jesus who have not yet said yes to following Jesus and may have no, in, no interest uh, in, in saying yes to following Jesus. And there's a couple reasons I think that we're uncomfortable with that, but, but a picture's worth a thousand words. Let me just show you one of the reasons that I think that we are uncomfortable with that. We're uncomfortable with it because of bullhorn guy, okay? Uh, we, we, the, the expression uh, that, that many of us, what, what, that comes to our mind when we think about what it means to share our faith with others, we think about bullhorn guy. And, and, and no, none of us like bullhorn guy. Uh, I was in San Antonio, our family went down there for a quick vacation this summer, we went to Slidron for a couple days, and then we went to this place called the Alamo, I don't know if you've ever been there, but we, we did that, and, and right outside there is this beautiful little square, and we, we had a picnic lunch, and we were really excited about, you know, being there, nice trees, keeping, you know, the, the, the hot Texas sun off of you, and, and right 
right across the street is Bullhorn Guy. It was the worst picnic ever. I mean, it was the most depressing picnic ever. I mean, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm a pastor, and my kids are right here, and they're just hearing this incredibly bad expression of what I try to do week in and week out, which is share what I think is good news, which I don't think he had heard before. All he knew was the bad news, and he wanted everybody to know the bad news. And of course, everyone's just so excited to hear the bad news, right? Just all, he, that's all he did the whole time was just talk about everything that you might… Uh, let me just see if I can find what you might be doing wrong in your life and remind you, you're all going to hell. No one, we, we don't want anything to do with that, right? We don't want to be, be perceived in that way, in that really insensitive, perhaps harsh, mean way. And, and so we struggle with, well, what does that look like in my life? And so I want to challenge a little bit and, and help us think about this in a little bit different way uh, as we look at Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to give you what I think is the how, uh, a model, if you will, for how we help others follow Jesus. So first, the book of Acts. Acts follows the Gospels. And And so the gospel is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Acts picks up the story there. And what many people miss about the book of Acts is it happens, uh, the events that are recorded there happen immediately following the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So in Acts chapter 2, when Peter stands up in Jerusalem, the very city in which Jesus was crucified, and he begins to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, that God had raised him from the dead, we're about 40 days removed from that act of crucifixion. This is a fresh memory for all those who heard Peter that day. Uh, That's how close we are in proximity to that really, really important event. Acts chapter 3, we find the disciples doing, uh, participating in some of the very things that Jesus had done, the same things that had gotten Jesus in trouble, condemned by the Jewish leadership, and then handed over the Romans to be crucified. Now we find the disciples doing the same things. And Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 heal uh, a lame beggar. And so they find themselves standing before the exact same people who less than two months later, or, or two months ago, had condemned Jesus to his death. That's where we are in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have been called before this council because what has happened? And I'm going to pick up uh, reading to you in verse 7. This is the question that they ask Peter and John. By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. For salvation is found in no other, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Verse 13, when they, again, the leadership, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, that's the council, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must uh, warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So you probably pick this up. This is a tense moment, all right? This is, this is a moment where Peter and John are in very real danger. This is a moment where prudence would say, why don't we live to fight another day? You know, let's just kind of keep this on the down low. Thank you, be respectful, walk away. But that's not what Peter does. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he speaks boldly about how this healing has happened. He speaks boldly about Jesus, the one whom you crucified, but God has raised from the dead. And notice at the end, it's like Peter and John just cannot help but get in the last word, right? So I want you to notice just a few verses from what I read to you. The first is verse 20, that last one. Uh, Again, they say, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. If you're someone who underlines in your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline these two words. We're going to keep talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And then verse 13, after, after Peter uh, finishes uh, his, his proclamation to them, uh, again, the council, when they saw the courage, you might underline the word courage, of Peter and John, realized they were unschooled ordinary. You might underline the word ordinary. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So how? How do you help others follow Jesus? Well, I'm, I'm a linear thinker. I know everyone isn't that way, but I like to think step by step. How does this work? And so, uh, again, I want to share with you a, a linear way that's in a circle, which is confusing to me a little bit also. So I, I hope it's helpful for you. We'll, we'll see how this goes. But, but this is how I understand, uh, how, not only in my life, but in your life, how do we actually help others follow Jesus? Christianity begins as a work of the heart. It begins when we invite Jesus in, we invite God into our heart, and God begins to work in our heart. That is a process that begins when we say yes, and we believe it continues all the way through our life till the day we take our last breath. God continues to work in our heart. Proverbs says, guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. Jesus says, it is out of the heart that the mouth speaks. A good man, Jesus says, brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Uh, Everything begins in the heart. And if you think about what Jesus says there, What begins in the heart then is expressed in a new life, a life that is distinctly different from the life that we had lived before because of what God has done in our heart. Uh, The Apostle Paul in Galatians uh, has a list of things that he refers to as the fruits of the Spirit. 
In other words, these are the products. This is what happens. This is, this is the end product of God's working in our life, working in our heart. He talks about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, uh, self-control. All of these things that begin to be expressed in our life because of what God is doing in our heart. This is the fruit that grows when the soil is good, when it's nurtured, water taken care of. This is what is produced in our life and begins to be expressed in our everyday living. And from what God does in our heart and it begins to be expressed in our life, this begins to impact our relationships. It deepens uh, uh, the relationships that we have. They are more healthy, they are more life-giving, but it also increases the relationships that you have in your life. And here's why. This is a natural, natural process. This isn't something that we manipulate or are forced to happen. Here's why. When you begin to live a life that is built on what God has done in your heart, and, and in this life, what you, the life that you are living, you begin to live an expression, uh, again, of these things that Paul refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. People want to be with people who are living this kind of life. I mean, just think about it. Would you rather spend time with a loving person or an unloving person? Would you rather spend time with someone who is kind or someone who is mean? When you actually begin to live the life that is built off of what God, uh, the, the work that God does in your heart, you become a magnetic person. And you may not even understand it at first, but all of a sudden people seek you out because they see something in you, they experience something in you that is distinctly different from what they may experience in others. You become someone who people are attracted to. Again, a a magnet. And so not only do you deepen in the relationships that you already have, but, but, but more relationships become possible because of the life that you are living. And in these relationships, there, uh, you, you have opportunities. Opportunities are created that you didn't have before because of the new relationships that you have. And these are opportunities to share an invitation. And when you share an invitation, you give someone the chance to share a response. And here's what I want you to notice. As you move around this circle right here, when you give someone the chance to make a response, you are offering someone the opportunity to say yes and invite God into their heart and and for someone else to begin a brand new life that not only transforms the relationships that they already have, it begins to build new relationships. And in those relationships, they have opportunities and they share words of invitation and other people have the chance to respond. That's, that's, That's how a whole new life begins. And that's how you have the chance to participate in that. Well, here's a question. Where do we go wrong in this? Uh, Peter and John are noted in verse 13 as ordinary, unschooled men. Let me, let me translate what that means for us in, in today's world. They were high school dropouts, and they were standing before a council of Ivy League scholars. They had no business being there. I mean, if this is a trivia game, they're going to get squashed. But their lives had been changed in extraordinary ways. How? Because they had been with Jesus. When you invite Jesus into your life and you give God the access 
that God needs to work on your heart, your life changes. Your life changes. But here's one of the places where we go wrong. And this is something that we just find ourselves doing from time to time or uh, maybe at the beginning of our faith journey. We try really hard to live the life without giving Jesus the access he needs into our heart. And so we're just, you know, trying as hard as we can and we're, we're, we're buckling. I'm, I'm trying to be loving. But we haven't really given Jesus the access he needs to transform our heart. We've, we've put faith on the side. We expect, oh, you know, this is the window in which Jesus has to, to, to impact me rather than living a life where we are, as Paul describes in Philippians, praying un, unceasingly. Seeing not only this time that we share together in a, in a worship service as a sacred moment, but seeing every part of our life as a sacred moment, as a time that we spend with God and we are used by God and giving Jesus the access to the heart that he needs to transform our life. The other uh, mistake I think we make is, is we do things here that undermine the relationships that we might develop here. So this is actually an antiquated model of this very poor um, expression of helping others follow Jesus. It's, it's kind of outdated. Would you like to know what the 2019 model uh, of bullhorns is? Anybody? It's this. And it's what we share with others through this. It's the way in which we participate in this brand new thing called social media and what it is that we blast into the world that we may not realize is actually undermining our opportunity to develop and grow healthy and life-giving relationships. On a regular basis, on a regular basis, I see things in social media and I think to myself, does this person know that all of us can see this? Like. Are they aware how this actually works? That everyone else can see what they just shared. Do they know that their pastor just saw this? Like, did they forget that they sent me a friend request? Like, they, do they know? Or here's the harder question, you know, for some of us. Does, does what I, whatever it is that I'm blasting into the world, do the people who receive that, do they think, wow, this person has spent some time with Jesus? <laughs> or do they think something else? I gotta tell you as a pastor, I, I know of family members who won't talk to one another anymore because of this area of their life. Uh, be because of what they blast into the world not realizing the damage that it causes. Here, here's what I think Facebook is good for. I think it's good for pictures of cute puppies and children, okay? So there, there's one use of Facebook. I think it's a, uh, a great uh, a model, it, it, it's a great medium for blessing people and encouraging people. And beyond that, I'm not sure what else is on that list, but I know one thing that is not on that list. It is a awful medium for changing people's minds. I mean, it's just terrible. Terrible for doing that. 
uh, and, and it undermines, undermines relationships. But let's just say you do all this right. I mean, you, your heart is being transformed, you're living the life, you're developing relationships, and then the opportunity comes. And one of the things that I think we do is we hesitate and we hold back because we don't know how the other person's gonna respond. And, and, and so we, we don't share the invitation. And when we don't share the invitation, we deny someone else the chance to share a response, positive or negative or indifferent. But we deny them that chance. The chance that someone gave us, that someone gave us to say yes to inviting God into our heart. The other thing I think is we, we feel uncomfortable with these opportunities because we think, well, maybe this, you know, maybe I'm overstepping my bounds here. We don't realize that if you're doing all of this right, these are earned opportunities. These are doors that are open to you because someone else trusts you and believes in you and sees something in you and for some reason they think, I don't know why, but this person, I think they can help me. This is the person who looks up over the cubicle and says, hey, can I talk? Can I share something with you? And maybe up until now what you've done is you've shared the best advice that you could think of, but you haven't talked about that part of your life that has been really important for you in your past. You haven't talked about your faith. You haven't talked about how in that time of worry all you knew to do was to pray. Ask others to do that for you. You've held back a little bit. Uh, maybe uh, when you've had the chance to, to hear from somebody in need in, in their life, maybe what you've said up until now is, I will be thinking of you. When the brave response would have been or could be, can I pray for you right now? Would that be okay? Can I pray for you? We miss an opportunity because we don't know what to say. We don't know how to share an invitation. We're afraid we're gonna get 20 questions. Well, what does it say in verse 20? What does God ask of us? What do Peter and John say? We cannot stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. That's simply sharing your experience of God. This is what I've seen, this is what I've heard, this is what I've read, this is what I've experienced. This is, this is how this has helped me. This is how it's blessed me in my life. This is, this is how I've experienced God in my life. I don't have all the answers, but this is what my experience has been. And that's an invitation that is fairly compelling. I don't have all the answers, but this is, this is what this has meant to me in my life. Now, next weekend is a big weekend. We've, we've talked about offering invitations. Oh, they just took it down. Put it back up. We've talked about offering invitations, which is going to be right here. Okay. Uh, I want to make sure that you're, uh, you're clear on this. My expectation is not that you go around the circle over the next seven days. Okay. All right. That, that probably won't work out too, too well for you. All right. But I do want you to, uh, to think about how you can help others follow Jesus. And maybe in looking at this, you can see, well, there's some areas that I need to work on. Or maybe you can look back and say, wow, that was an opportunity that I missed. I didn't realize what was going on. I didn't realize that they were actually inviting me into their life and they were, they were inviting me to speak a word of life into their life. I want you to think about how you can 
help others follow Jesus. But to solidify that, here's what I want to ask you to do. Uh, if you would, I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a minute. I promise no one will mess with you. Uh, but I want you to imagine, I want you to picture in your mind the person whose life first made you curious about what it meant to live as a follower of Jesus. The person in your life whose life first made you curious about what it meant to follow Jesus. And I want to invite you to think about what that was. What is it that you saw in them or experienced in your relationship with them? What was it that made you want to know more? Compelled you to seek out that person for their counsel or their wisdom? And I invite you to open your eyes and I want, I want to invite you to imagine another scenario. So it's tomorrow, and you're wherever you are on Monday. You're at work, um, having coffee with a friend, you're at lunch, and your friend asks you, what'd you do this weekend? And you share what you did, what you did on Saturday, and maybe you share that on you know, Sunday morning I went to church. And in response, that friend asks you this question. The question that they ask is, why? Why'd you do that? Do you know what your answer would be? Why are you here? Why did you feel compelled to be here today? Why are you here? And if your answer is, well, I just get in my car and this is where it goes on Sunday morning. I don't know, it's just, it's just what I do. I want to encourage you to be uncomfortable with that answer and to spend some more time thinking about why. Maybe you don't know the answer or you don't know how to put it into words. But I want to encourage you to think about what words you would use to answer the question why because you never know when the opportunity will present itself when someone asks why. And the most important words that we share are words that we have practiced. We have rehearsed. We know exactly what we want to say. When I asked my wife to marry me, I knew exactly what I wanted to say because I had practiced that. And those words, your answer to the question why, just might be the most important words that someone else has ever heard because it gives them the chance to share a response and to invite God into their heart. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we pray that you will bless us with your presence, with your spirit at work in us that you, Lord, would, would enable us to live brave lives 
that you, Lord, by the work of your Spirit would continue to transform our life, that we would live more clearly into the calling that you have shared with us to share this faith with others. We pray, Lord, that when opportunities are made available that we'll have the courage to to be honest and with grace and humility to simply speak from our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that in that, that would be used by your Spirit to invite others to a life-changing response. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.